Hello and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one or so chapters at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you this week. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, you having a... What kind of beverage are you having? We're, we're recording in the afternoon. Has it changed? I mean, it's different than the last time. It's a dark and stormy. <laughs> All right. Got some rum in there. So, uh-huh. yeah. Good. It's not morning, so it's okay. That's right. What do you got? I'm having some tea, uh, some herbal tea. So nothing that nothing as interesting as dark and stormy. If this episode gets stressful, I might hit pause and go make one. But uh, <laughs> let's. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to get too stressful. There's a lot of interesting things to talk about yeah. here. So we are talking about Matthew chapter 12. We've been doing a couple chapters at a time, but this week we are going to just do 12. So if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, as always, be sure to pause me in a minute here and uh, click on that link in the show notes. Give it a read. Don't forget the the footnotes. So go ahead and give it a read. Welcome back. So I want to jump right into not a specific verse, but a bigger pattern that uh, really surfaces in this chapter. Mm -hmm. There's all these phrases and words that come out of Jesus's own religious tradition of Judaism. That's often just the, the words that I've heard are things like, sabbath and law but they aren't really the word the in-house words that jewish folk use i mean they'll say law they'll say sabbath but um shabbat and torah Mm -hmm. are are a bit more of the in-house words for for these things I, i wanted to just make a note of this because i found it entirely refreshing it's it enunciates for me as a gentile the foreignness of this, the like the the foreignness to me, hmm. you know, this is Jesus is we think of it. It's easy for me. And I think others to think of these stories is like Jesus is actually a Christian and he's going around contending with Jewish people and using kind of Christian words for some of their things like law and Sabbath. But to actually have him and the storyteller, Matthew, enunciating these things as with the in-house language really reminds like, no, Jesus isn't like the Christian going around correcting the Jews. He's like a Jew Mm -hmm. calling for a certain leading a reform movement within that tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's interesting. You said like, it helps, it feels foreign to you, like feels other strange to you as if us, uh, we as Gentiles own this story. And it's, some, it's somehow separate from Jewish history, Judaism, Jewish tradition, where it's really the other way around. Like we, we certainly claimed it and claimed it forcefully uh, for many centuries, but it started the other way around. It's essentially like this whole book is about how it's assumed that Jews are in and everybody else. It's a question mark. Does, it, does they count? 
but we've totally turned it around the other way. And I even someone brought to my attention recently um, that there's a sense that the, the racism in America, that whole issue of racism in total really grew out of the Christian anti-Semitic history of Europe. Mm. Um, that, that it was, a, it was a thing that didn't really exist at Jesus' time, um, but really came as, as Gentiles claimed Jesus for their own and, and put Jews on the outside, that that yeah. really was the beginnings of the problems with racism that we have now. Yeah, the other points to all of this is, I know it's in a lot of literature in that time, there was this sort of shorthand. There's like there's ethnic groups, there's Jews, and then there's just Gentiles, there's non-Jews, mm-hmm. there's you know they had words for people from different areas, uh, but it's yeah. I, I, I grew I, up I, just hearing the word Gentiles, and it's like uh, it's a weird word. I don't know the history of the word, the English word Gentiles, um, mm-hmm. but I I am interested actually in looking that up because the word that we translate as Gentiles literally just means like people groups, ethnicities. It's, it's ethnos where we get the English word ethnicity. Um, so it doesn't actually inherently have an otherness to the definition of the word, but when it's used, it's like, you're one, eth- you're one ethnos. So when, but we're assuming that we're talking about other ethnoi is the plural when we use the word ethnos, ethnoi. So I often translate it as other people groups or other nations or other other peoples um, adding the word other because that's how it's being applied. Uh, but the word really is just about any people group. So I'm curious if I if I can risk uh, moving the like ticker, ticker tape forward a little bit here. You have finished record uh, translating Matthew. Mm-hmm. You finished translating Colossians. You're almost done with Ephesians. Yep. And that's get that gets into, you know, more focally, like in those letters, Paul is in much more active conversation and arguments around issues of racial alienation and mm-hmm. uh, belonging. He uses the word Gentile a whole bunch. I would say I'm just going to spitball it a lot more than the gospel writers do. Have you, and, and in some ways, in a little bit of a contrastive sense? Uh, yeah, have, actually, he doesn't necessarily use the, the Greek word ethnoi, is, is, I mean, he does, but not that muffin. The one that he uses is what ends up being translated in a lot of translations as uncircumcision, which has a whole historical prudishness behind why that's the translation, but literally it means foreskin. Uh huh. Um, he ends up leaning on that one a little bit more. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you're saying that there are times not just where the trans conventional translations will, when it says the foreskin or the uncircumcised, sometimes those translators would actually just translate that as Gentiles. No, I mean, it's uncircumcision. Um, uh-huh. But I'm just saying like Paul uses that in addition to what's translated as Gentiles. Uh-huh. So in, uh, I guess all this was a setup to ask you, when you get to that same Greek word that we're talking about here in Matthew, mm-hmm. did it? Have, did you change it all? Like what you think? How you think Paul would accent it? 
I did like in Matthew, I've done a lot of other people's or other people groups. It's not the same every time, but that's kind of the, the direction. In Ephesians, I translated it as ethnicities more. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's part of the fun challenge that you have is trying to discern the particular theological voice mm-hmm. and pastoral voice and political voice of each of these authors and authoring communities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so all of those are connected. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So if you're just tr- doing the, you know, there's a, I think the seminaries that we went to really had a bit of a, a fetish for the NASB where it was like, we're keeping the same. If we translate that Greek word one way here, we're going to try doing it every single time that we can to be consistent because that's how we, that's how we are evacuating ourselves from interpret making interpretive decisions yeah, which that's is not, it's not how language works, but it's not how language works, yeah. and it's not how like neutrality works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you have the response; they have a responsibility to do what you know you and I think other translations do try to do, which is like acknowledge the the voice mm-hmm. that each of these people have, even when word choice flat may appear to flatten out voice to those who don't speak this language anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another easy example of that is in Matthew, I've translated Christos as Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Ephesians and Colossians, I translated it as Christ because oh. he's talking to a Gentile, other nations, Greek speaking. Uh, there, there's the rule the, a Greek speaking audience versus Jesus is speaking to a, an Aramaic Hebrew speaking audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next thing I want to explore is in. There's this excerpt from the Hebrew uh, scriptures going from, let's see, verses 18 through 21. And verse 20 is, he will not damage a crushed reed and he won't extinguish a smoldering wick in advance of when he propels the verdict to victory. Now that, that phrase at the end there, when he propels the verdict to victory, that's not the typical translation. It's usually uh, propels the... Or is it the justice propels justice to victory? Is that right? Yeah, justice to victory is pretty common. Um, I'm actually looking at something right now to see. Yeah, most most of the others say justice, um, <laughs> but it's not the same word that I've been using to translate. Like, it's not dikasune that I've been translating as justice. Um, it's a word and to that's... recap for folks like dikasune can be like. Uh, Justice, righteousness, justification, all of those sanctification, like all those, not sanctification, but all those words in conventional translations all come from that one word. And that's not the word here where the word justice shows up. It actually is a different word. Right. Yeah. This one is chrysis, which is related to the word for a judge. It has a much more of a courtroom kind of feel to it. Um, So another word could be judgment not in the sense of like you're being judgy, but like the decision of a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, My ruling. Yeah. So, or verdict. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But not having it be justice was, was intentional because it's been you, I've been using that to translate the Kaisune, which is you know, traditionally, like you were saying, like righteousness. Um, 
which has to do more with living justly, living in a way that promotes goodness for everybody versus this being about a decision made by an authority figure, um, which could include pursuing goodness for everybody, but that's not specifically what it means. Um, And so I think having it be really clear that it's about an authority figure's decision here about what's coming next is it makes is is important to to clarify it's not just Mm -hmm. the concept of justice in general it's it's a decision a decree and the point that you make in the footnote is the verdict is actually not guilty it's not the verdict is right you're all bastards and i'm gonna come squish you right yeah there's been an acquittal yeah and that is that can be a form of victory. It's certainly like the dismissal of deviations is what the victory of God looks like in that's part of the argument that Matthew makes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge theme of the, the entire book. Yeah. 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 So just getting the word judgment out of there, like, okay, yeah, that it, it's a judge word, capital J kind of, but it, it, it misses the point because it's so, I, I'm so trained to think of the word judgment as something along the lines of um, sanctioned and warranted ass whooping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about the punishment that comes yes. from the judgment. That's, but but that's a much shorter way. But but it but this is this doesn't connect it with the punishment. It's actually the opposite. The judgment leads to not. It's a not guilty judgment. It's, yeah. So there is no punishment that goes with it. Hmm. So uh, moving along to, you know, there's this next big stretch here where, you know, Jesus is accused of some stuff. Uh, Typical. What's that? Typical. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really the next like several weeks of this show is Jesus does something. People get freaked out or bothered or, or offended by it. And then he tells a story or says something weird to like outflank them. Uh, and in this one, you know, uh, verse 24, when the Pharisees heard about it, they accused him. Uh, he couldn't banish demons except by the power of Beelzebul, ruler of demons. And, you know, this, it progresses into this whole thing about the, the unpardonable sin. Like you can, you can sin against even the, the son of man or the son of humanity, the truly human one. And you, and you, your sin will be forgiven. Your deviation will be dismissed. But, you know, hey, anybody who sins or blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, that that aggression will not stand. Like, that is a sin that will be not be forgiven. And it's, you know, I, I grew up when I felt the silence of God, when I should be feeling like the effervescence. Uh, I would wonder, oh, shit, did I... At some point, have I been cut off from God? Did I commit the unpardonable sin? Jesus will forgive all of your sins, 70 times seven, mm. all that stuff. But there's this one this one thing, and nobody knows what the hell it is. <laughs> but like, I, I, I know a lot of folks who grew up with this like haunted sense of, did I do the one thing that keeps me from God's mercy? And mm-hmm. here you've changed a few words uh, throughout this section not in order to make sense of it, but to be faithful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you're not bending it to your own interpretation. I'm curious how in the yeah, interpretation. Trying not to. In, yeah, trying not to. Yeah. Um, how all, in the process of translation, what did you find uh, about this verse? Did it bring any consolation? It seems to make sense in a way that I've ever hasn't ever before um like man there's some weird things that have been done with this i remember learning about a website that was made i I never visited it so i'm not exactly sure how it is but essentially you could like go to this website sign in and commit blasphemy against the holy spirit whatever that entailed for them um as a way to like ensure that you wouldn't ever have to deal with this God that you so disliked. Um, wow. That's a form of it's, like it's street, weird. street theater. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It was definitely uh satire and kind of at its best, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think another one way that one of my professors in seminary taught was basically this was only a thing that could happen during the life of Jesus. So the fact that, that, that mm-hmm. the Pharisees and other leaders were encountering Jesus who was like channeling the Holy spirit and denying Jesus, they were committing blasphemy against the Holy spirit, but because none of us are face to face with the bodily Jesus, it's not possible for anybody else to do that. It was um, a different dispensation. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, to, so many different ways of trying to make sense of this. And I feel like the context has it in front of us um for those who have eyes to read yeah and you know i can't be the first person to pick up on this and if i am then i'm probably wrong honestly um Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of clues here like so i put they accused him um which literally just said but it just uses that same word for said over and over that i feel like contextually what kind of saying is 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 worth doing um and they're like fulfilling the role of the accuser here, the adversary. So I used accused. Um, and then Jesus speaks against the adversary. Mm-hmm. Um, or in verse starts... 26, right, for that, yeah. Right, right. Um, and then he starts talking in response to them. Like they, or they start talking about, he's doing this by the power of Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, which Beelzebul is... Literally, it's from the, the a Hebrew word that's the name of a, of a particular god. Um, and it literally means like the master of the house or a lord of the house. Um, Baal. Yeah, Baal being master or lord. Which if you've um, read most translations of the uh, Hebrew scriptures have a reference. He's one of the two main, two or three main like alternative gods that Yahweh is in tension with. Mm-hmm. yeah and there's there's some confusion here about beelzebul like some people think it means lord of the flies and the reason is that the zebul is like not totally clear like the hebrew one is baal zebub there's a b there and this has mm-hmm. the the l or the lambda um and so it's confused people and they try to make sense of it but the context really leans pretty towards like he's making a reference to the Lord of the house. Cause then he starts talking about a house divided against itself, or I've translated it as, as dynasty, but um, this is all connected. Like this is not a bunch of different thoughts. He starts talking about the, the master of the house 
and ends up in blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that's one thought. They shouldn't be taken apart from each other. Hmm. So walk me through that argument for it then. Like, what is it? What is it really? Uh Yeah. So he starts with the, if I'm banishing demons by the power of the master of the house or master of the, the dynasty, Mm -hmm. um, the, the master would want to keep the house together, right? Like want it to like stay stable, not dis- destroy it, disperse it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but then he starts talking about, so whoever is not wor- working with me is working against me. And I added the word working to clarify, but so traditionally it's just with me and against me, but the context here shows that he's talking about working is about like see planting seeds and stuff. participation. And yeah. yeah. Um, and whoever doesn't join me in bringing people together, um, traditionally that's scattering, drives or gathering, sorry, <laughs> gathering, and then drives people away. Traditionally, that's scattering. So, but like, yeah, I think the context here matters. So, so you are adding a couple gathering, of words there to buffer it a little, but it right. The, otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Um, it, it doesn't really say anything. Like, were we talking about seeds or what? So I think it's talking about they are being divisive, right? They're trying to keep some people in, some people out. Their clear rules, their clear expectations of what makes it so that they can be in. And of course they are, and other people are out. Um, is them being the adversary, essentially. Mm-hmm. But they're accusing him of being an adversary, being Beelzebul. And he's like, hey, you know, like, that's not me. But if it were, it'd be make more sense than what you're talking about, that he wouldn't be creating separation, creating otherness within his own group. But you're doing that. No, you're working against me. You're pushing people away. You're trying to like make sure that other people are not included when this whole thing that I'm doing is about radical inclusion here. So if you're not working with me to bring people in and the, the, the work that I'm doing based on the Holy Spirit, the life breath working through me, bringing life, not just to individuals, but to the whole group, to, the, to mm. everyone, uh, you're on the side of the adversary. You're the one pushing people away and you're, you're speaking ill against the life breath of God by doing that because the life breath of God wants people to be together and connected and gathered, not excluded and pushed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even just setting himself up as, you know, in tension with someone whose name is the adversary, which isn't always the way it's translated. Right. They just transliterate it, meaning which means just to put it in the lang- the letters of another language as Satan. Yeah. And it's like, well, can Satan be against Satan? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. No. Witty point, Jesus. But there's like almost this this joke he's making that actually makes a point when he says, you know, the adversary can't be against the adversary. It's like, well, the adversary is fundamentally like his friggin name tag. His business card is. I'm against things. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, can the guy who's against things be against the guy who's against things? Like, well, actually, that's kind of his freaking job. <laughs> like, right. He's he's kind of a shit lord. Like, he's not a lord of the flies, as it were. He's not like actually trying to 
that's a horrible like center per centering personality to create the dynasty like a dynasty built around just raw antagonism ad- adversarialness doesn't create a, a a space or a politic of abundance it creates a the center of your life together is alienation violence blame ad- adversarialness um mm-hmm. scarcity a, instead of abundance yeah 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 there's a oh, david fitch is a missiologist out of the chicago area who wrote a pretty good book about 10 years ago really exploring this this nature of um like you can either have Jesus as the center of your politic that is built around abundance and infolding and present tense work of union making. The, the flip side of it would be like if the center of your life together is fear, defensiveness, adversity, antagonism, which is for him what a lot of evangelicalism is about, um, you know, it, it really won't last long. And I think, Jesus setting up this contrast here is really making a similar point in his own day, like mm-hmm. but getting into the weeds of like, what do you actually think I'm doing here? Like, do you think I'm in the power of the adversary kicking out the minions of the adversary? Like, do you hear yourself? Another piece that you did here, translation wise is uh, the very beginning of verse 33. So right after there's this like, hey, don't do the thing. Don't do the big thing. It kind of moves along to this other thing, like about like fruit and trees and disease. And it's easy, especially if you're trying, we talked about this, I think it was last week, uh, like when you have section headers to just see this, like then he just ended on this really scary note and then he said some other stuff. Right. And, and here you've, you've made sure, you know, there's the Greek has this word for just means or. Is that right? Right. Yep. Just means or. And you you kind of just stretch that out a little bit to say or look at it this way. Right. Yeah. Just as a way to like signal to the reader, this isn't an unrelated thought. He's continuing what he was just saying, even though there's a starting a new paragraph here. Yeah, like, okay, for those of you who didn't get it in my plays on words and all that stuff there, let's like sometimes metaphor is uh, even a little more abstract may actually help get us closer to it. So we'll try it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it were being done orally, you could emphasize that orally, like, or show me appealing fruit. And like really yeah. have like kind of bridge that connection there, but in writing, it's harder to get that across with a single word. Yeah. Yeah. The orality of it, like these, these, this literature was originally read aloud and that's mm-hmm. how really for the first three quarters of its life in yeah. the world, first it was 1500 years plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My God, it was read aloud. And so it's the responsibility part of the part of the translation is not just in what you have done, but in how it's read aloud. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to like drama queen it. That's maybe fine at certain points, but you can really enunciate this stuff to really help make, see how there's a continuity across what sadly can often be discrete things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps another way of putting it would be whoever doesn't join me in bringing passages together drives them apart. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which, as I said, we said in an earlier episode, like completely changes the meaning when you do that. Yeah. And there was never intended to be that way. Anything else you want to cover around this particular exchange? Yeah, just that like one of the things that translating helped me do is because I was going through it so thoroughly, paying such close attention, even when it wasn't about like a Greek word to an English word, was just noticing when things are repeated. Um, so mm-hmm. this this a tree is discerned by its fruit, uh, the healthy tree and the peeling fruit, the rotten tree and the, the rotten disease tree and the rotten fruit. I'm like, oh, that's starting to sound familiar. Oh, sons of vipers. That sounds really familiar. Jesus is repeating here all the things that John was saying to the Pharisees in chapter three. Um, and it just brings it back. And I, I feel like that's on purpose. These are, And those are not the only two places where this like fruit and trees are paired healthy and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this keeps coming back. And I think it would be really important to keep, oh, how are these connected when it, as it keeps coming back, what is, what are we trying to be, what are we supposed to be seeing here that it keeps coming up again and again? Mm-hmm. And then I think sense of vipers comes up again later. And I don't remember which chapter exactly 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there. Um, and I notice it's connected with like Isaiah and like, so these, there are themes that like we're supposed to be seeing but yeah. when we take just like a paragraph in isolation, there's no way to mm-hmm. see those things. So last thing I want to explore with you is in verse 43. But when the unclean spirit breath goes out from a person as they speak, it goes through arid places looking for rest, but doesn't find it. Unclean spirit breath. That's an interesting phrase, man. It was something that was felt like a struggle uh, to, to arrive at, um, mm. which I did just breath for a really long time and then wrestling with it again when it showed up later in Ephesians or Colossians led me to go with spirit breath instead. It, it's, I think what's hard is that the word pneuma in Greek carries a variety of possible meanings and then which makes it possible to do like puns where you can kind of have more than one meaning at play at a time, but they're completely spirit and breath in English are completely unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like they're invisible forces of life, but it's that's right. Yeah. Which I mean, you can kind of get clues that that's not entirely unrelated with words like respiration Oh yeah, uh, spirit is in there, and um, that's not an accident. Uh, inspiration, expiration—those are all from this word that from the Latin uh, spiritus, um, which means breath, spirit. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, this the flow of living air. Um, yeah, often you've done you've done breath, uh, taking the more literal 
angle, mm-hmm. but you're still choosing one out of this like, yeah, like the word is just built as a thesaurus. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What I've typically done is life breath hyphenated, mm-hmm. um, but that only works when it works. And here it's clearly like the opposite. It's like the kind of breathy spirit thing that leads away from life. Um, and so life breath doesn't work. It's, it's not, it's not the appropriate translation here. Um, so, but trying to figure out like, is this talking about a demon? Cause that's not the word that's used. It's spirit breath, penuma. Yeah. Uh, usually it's, but when the unclean spirit goes out from a person as they speak. And so like the, the conventional reading is mm-hmm. okay. This like spirit, this demon leaves you this unclean spirit and it like pinballs around the land until it can somebody's standing there with their mouth open. It can suck into. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, like we've talked about in previous episodes, I'm not trying to just remove angels and demons and like supernatural things from it because I don't like it. When the Greek word daimonia comes up, I translate it as demon. That's not what this is. So I'm trying to figure out from the context and the context isn't just the verse or two right before and after it's this entire chapter and the entire book. Um, And what I've been seeing from the beginning of this chapter is this sense of uh, antagonism, polarity, separateness, keeping people out um, gatekeeping kind of thing like we're good you're bad uh, we're judging you to be guilty or not worthy um, and god is propelling the verdict to victory the verdict is acquitted you're not guilty you're in um, the blasphemy against the holy spirit is trying to tell people that they're out um, and whereas mm-hmm. jesus is working to bring people in that's the work of the life breath so what is the work of these competing spirit breaths to the life breath it's the context right before it is um the context right before it has to do with the rotten trees and and rotten fruit and he's like i'm telling you on the day the verdict which is not guilty uh for some the is rendered people will be given a restitution because you've been falsely accusing them of being not worthy be given restitution for every irresponsible word uh you either be acquitted based on your words to people or convicted based on your words to people i think the uh and then the story of jonah which is all about him accusing the people of nineveh and god including them radically anyway um and then jesus talks about the unclean spirit breath goes out i think it is that those irresponsible words the accusations when those go out into the world they go out and search through the desert the dry places looking for a place to land, but there isn't a place for them to land because they're false accusations. Mm-hmm. So then they like go there's back no place they... that they can claim authority. Right. So then they come back home to the person who spoke them in the first place and are applied to that person instead completely. 
which is the representation of the, the number seven there. Oh my. And that person ends up worse than they started. That's how it'll be for this oppressive generation who tries to keep people out and make it hard for people. Well, you just put a, a bow on it. Thank you. That was very elegant and helps me see the bigger cohesion of this really extended excerpt. Like not a sequence of little sayings, stories, and arguments, but like this is one big flow of thought. And I think just that walking it through to help put this one particular uh, spirit breath thing into place creates a new home for all the weird parts, uh, which I think has been a theme of our conversation. Yeah. And that conversation is about ripe to wrap up for the day. So we are, as always, thankful for your company in this leg of the journey. The easiest way to support Founded Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show and join the conversation, which is the second best way to support the show by becoming a sponsor, which you can do for just five bucks a month. There's a link in the show notes. When you do that, you get comment access on the translations Google Doc, so you can be engaging with both of the Brandons and other listeners about this translation and all of its implications. And you also get the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. Who doesn't love that? Again, you can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon.